0: Um, all right, so tonight we're going to talk about the second sola, and we've been talking about the five solas uh, of the Reformation. So Martin Luther, 500 years ago, nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, started something that absolutely changed the course of Western history and really the world. And uh, so it's a good thing for us to kind of be able to go back and think about that. Um, you know, as I was preparing for tonight and praying through it and thinking about it, I kept um, I just kept thinking about uh, the situation that happened with the church in Sulphur Springs, Texas on Sunday. And I mean, talk about a senseless tragedy. I've had some conversations with people and gotten some emails from people over the the last few days just trying to, everyone's trying to navigate that. Like, how do you deal with those emotions, right? How do you deal with those feelings, and it can lead people to think, I think, many times about their faith in God and how they view God. And especially people who are not Jesus followers, uh, who maybe have an understanding of, you know, a general understanding of Christianity but not a real heart connection to it, I think can get very thrown off by this, uh, by, by things like this that happen. I think it's important for us as followers of Jesus, to be able to really process it and navigate it well. Now, we're in a spiritual battle. You aware of that? There are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that are fighting against us all the time, and that includes emotionally. And they, they attack our emotions. They attack the way that we think. They, they, this, these spiritual forces of evil try to encourage us to think um, hopeless and desperate thoughts about the state of our world. You know, but it's, and it, it, it's important for us to always remember the bigger picture of who is in charge, but also what is going on. You know, even, even perspective-wise, I mean, you just you, you, you think about something that happens. Okay, so this is something that happened here in America. And isn't it interesting how much social media has made things feel so, so close and so present and so personal? And we and we can feel like it like it's really you know right there with us all the time. Um, I just started doing trying to think on different levels today about different issues that I know are going on in the world that that I think about. Um, And I was reminded today that 480,000 people die every year from water-related illnesses. That's 2,300 people per day. So now, when you, when you pull yourself back to, okay, so we're going to go to a global perspective and think about the tragedy of that, a water-related illness that actually kills people. And with kids, I mean, we're, we're talking hundreds of children under the age of five every day are dying because they don't have access to clean drinking water and they don't understand hygiene. And, I mean, this is, that's powerful stuff. The, the situation in Syria, uh, 2017, year to date, there have been over 7,200 people killed. In Syria, that's 24 people per day. In LA County, over the last 12 months, there have been 616 people murdered in our county. Right? I started thinking about about El Salvador, which is the most dangerous country in the world right now in terms of murders. Uh, In September, there were 435 murders in the month of September. It's almost 15 per day. I mean, and so, I mean, there's all these different lenses through which we can look at this, right? There's all these different perspectives that we can have. And you can find yourself reaching this place of like this, this really senseless tragedy happens in Texas. Or these shootings happen in Las Vegas. And it can absolutely take us out emotionally. And when we're only looking at, uh, if, if, if our whole perspective is, um, uh, nation centric, then it, 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 can, uh, it can suck you down into this pit of despair, you know. Uh, but when, when you start thinking about, okay, but then, but then there's a whole other nation that's going through this having 15 murders a day. And then there's Syria where there's a civil war going on. And Then there's the refugees who, who are going through. I mean, you can if, if you allow your brain to really go there, you can start spinning. And if you're like me, then you curl up in a fetal position on the floor and you don't want to do anything, right? But guys, you have to remember what's going on. You have to remember what is happening in our world. Open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 1. I said we were in a spiritual battle earlier, and you all know this. But I don't think that we often are aware of it because our we choose to allow our perspective on things uh, to be through the lens of a sitcom. And we want to have the nice little living room and the nice little stairs that go upstairs to the second floor and the people that come in off the kitchen and we want everything to operate in this little world the way that we like it and then within 30 minutes all of the bad situations work out and it's all just a misunderstanding and everything is fine and happy. But we don't think about this incredible battle that is going on. In Revelations 12, it talks about how uh, Satan was this dragon and he was, he was fighting this huge battle in heaven and he got knocked out of heaven. And we don't understand why everything worked out, that God has allowed him to be the prince of this world for this time. But we know that that is true because of what we read in the scriptures. And Satan was so enraged at what happened with this whole brazen display of brilliance by God and sending Jesus at Christmas time, under the cover of darkness to enter our world and save us. Because of that, Satan was so enraged that he went off to make war against you. And so right now, we are in this battle where he is making war against us. Now, wouldn't it be nicer if I could stand up here and say that, you know, if you believe in Jesus, everything is good, and your life is going to be good, and everything is going to be wonderful, and the whole world will be great. If you believe in Jesus, then all of your world will be happy and everything is good. That's not the reality that we live in. But when we get hopeless because there is tragedy in our world, it's because we are choosing to believe that reality that everything is supposed to be perfect. And we want God to work out our life like a sitcom. But you have to be more astute than that you have to be more intelligent than that you have to be smarter than that you have to be more woke than that you have to wake up to what is going on in our world spiritually and otherwise right okay now I'm saying some things that are a little bit hard I don't want you to get totally depressed because but I want you to look into what the Bible is saying about all this is everybody with me okay so Romans chapter 1 let's just go down to verse 18 and I want you to think about this, in context of all these things that are happening in our world right now, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. since what, be may, what may be made known oh, sorry, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, so now I want to stop for a second. Now, often if you've read this passage before and if you have any time understanding Christianity and you, you've been a Christian, you've had religious you know, discussions with people, you've heard sermons, you'll hear this passage and it comes from the perspective of like, look at all the awful sinful people about there that are out there, right? The wrath of God is being revealed against all these horrible people that are out there and we can but we can feel better about ourselves. Oh, well yes, they didn't glor, They glorified him as God and they didn't give thanks to him. But that's not like me and I'm not like that. And so that's a good thing. And so we get to that point of like, oh yes, these are bad people. Now, chapter 2 totally takes us out with that if we go into that. We're not going to do that tonight. But this the whole thing is like we have to remember what's going on. No, this is this whole world, all of us have turned from God. We get into chapter 3, and it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that all of us are that way? And that's not an amen, like amen. That's a like, oh my goodness, amen. You know, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is scary, right? That we were in the garden, we had this opportunity to be connected with God, but yet instead we chose to give the allegiance of our heart to something other than Him. And it separated us from Him. And because of that separation, we desperately needed a way to get back to him, and that way is Jesus. And that way is believing that Jesus is going to save us from all of this. Go down to verse 28. It says, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil... Greed and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. We can just stop right there. Why did that happen in Vegas? Because people are full of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Why did that happen in Sulphur Springs? Because the human heart, is full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. This is the condition of our world. This is the state of fallen humanity. And evil happens when we allow our human hearts to rule us and when we allow our emotions to rule us. And this is what is going on in this world of 7.5 billion people, is that there is evil and depravity and greed and murder that is happening out there. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when bad things happen. Don't look at it from an American perspective because we are spoiled and we are sheltered. And we are blessed beyond imagination. But how dare you take it for granted and think that just because you live in America, that the rest of the world, that everything should be good and happy and perfect. Guys, America is not the promised land. Heaven is the promised land. America is a very luxurious place in the midst of a broken world. And we are so stinking lucky to live here. So what do you do with that? What do you do with it? Do we wish, I wish everything was perfect? Yes, so do I. I wish nobody would hurt anybody. So do I. But guess what? It's not going to happen until we get to heaven. And this is why we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is why we believe that no matter what happens, I am holding on for heaven. Is this is why I put on my spiritual armor and I go out and I fight the spiritual battle. I'm not I'm not talking about impatience at traffic. I'm not talking about stress because of debt. I am talking about life or death issues that are going on every day because of evil and murder and strife and deceit and greed and depravity. So do not get overly depressed by tragedies that happen right here in America without allowing your mind to expand about the incredible horrific tragedy of thousands and millions of souls that do not know Jesus Christ. We have to wake up. We have to allow ourselves to become so much more focused on the mission and helping people get to know Jesus. Don't give in to the American way of thinking. Think like a disciple of Jesus Christ who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he considered himself nothing. He made himself nothing and allowed himself to be broken and murdered on a cross because of us. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. There's so much good in this chapter. But I still have a lesson to give you tonight, so I've probably got to get through the intro. Let's just go down to verse twenty six. In the same way. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through worldless wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So now, what's been happening in the last few chapters? Because chapter 1, Paul's like, guys, we are messed up. And then in chapter 2, he goes, Now, Jews, don't think that just because you're Jews that you're better than those people who are going to do those things. And then in chapter 3, he goes, Listen, all of us are messed up. We're completely messed up. And then in chapter 4, he gets into Abraham being justified by faith and how everything that we do comes from faith. And then chapter 5 is my, it talks about the second Adam and you have life through Christ. And then chapter 6, he starts talking about how we get to be dead to sin, but we get to be alive to Jesus and it's dying to our old life and walking into this new life with him. And it doesn't promise perfection. It doesn't promise happy, shiny unicorns, but what it does promise is this relationship with God that is awesome. And in chapter 7, he gets deeper into like, man, this is crazy to be released from the law, and we we don't have to do that anymore. And then he starts getting into chapter 8, and he starts talking about living with the spirit and life through the spirit, how awesome this is. We're going all the way from chapter 1, where it's like, man, this is a mess, and this spiritual battle that we're in is a mess, but let me tell you something, there is hope. And that's where he gets to, there is hope. And that's where we're talking about it, chapter 8, because it's awesome. And then he gets down to verse 28, and we all know this, but when you understand it in that context of the whole thing, it starts to make so much more sense, and it gets you so much more excited because you're believing in this verse right here that says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. All things God will work for the good of those who love Him. But what about when there's tragedy? It doesn't mean that God keeps all tragedy from happening. Because we're in a broken world where there is evil and strife and murder and deceit and depravity. But when those things happen, God will work good in it for those who love him. How does, I don't understand how that works and I'm not even sure that I like it. Because when tragedy happens, I want there to be some kind of like, boom, there is justice that comes down and everything is made right in every single situation in the time frame that I want it to happen. And when it doesn't, I start to believe that maybe God isn't a good God. And that's what's going on when you talk to your friends at work. That's what's going on when you talk to your neighbors is they cannot understand this bigger picture perspective. They see that God didn't fix that situation. Therefore, God is not good and God is not loving. God didn't didn't stop this one bad thing from happening. Therefore, God is not good and God is not loving. But see, for us, we get to look at this whole picture of Jesus on the cross. And that changes everything see that one central point that happened this thing that happened with jesus dying for our sins and then the resurrection that came after that i mean that changes everything and it puts everything else into perspective and we understand that now we are waiting and we are groaning the whole creation is groaning until everything finally gets to be the way that god decided that it would be because jesus Jesus, for those God foreknew, verse 29, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Is that awesome? God decided that we're gonna start to learn to be like Jesus. And as you all know, Jesus lived a wonderful, cushy life where he was in luxury all the time, and he was in the top 2% of the wage earners in the whole world at that time, and he never had any problems with, there was never sexual harassment going on, there was never any kind of domestic abuse in his world, everything was great, and then he just enjoyed life every day, and since we get to be conformed to the image of Jesus, then that's what we can expect our life to be like. No, we're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus because our trust and our hope in God is going to be rock solid no matter what our circumstances are. No matter what happens, no matter what Satan decides to do in this world, we are going to hold on to Jesus because he is our king and because he laid himself down for us and because he did that, we will do that for other people and we will trust God no matter what. Remember what Paul said? man? For, listen, for me to live... So, to die, what did he say? I lost it. What did Paul say? To die is Christ. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. I've read my Bible, right? This thing where he says, no, I just want to live like Jesus. If I get to go into heaven, that would be awesome. But right now, all that I'm living like is to be like Jesus. But then he said, I want to know the power of the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus. I mean, I don't. Truth be told, honestly, I'm not sure that that's what I want. I'm not sure that I want to understand God from all the suffering that I go through here in this life. I want to understand God through some nice Instagram posts that inspire me in the morning. I want to understand the character of God through a beautiful worship song. Spirit me where I want to sing that in the shower. I want to feel like, oh yes. Jesus, I love you. This is so great. I'm going to get another bracelet. I'm just going to be happy. You know, that's how I want to learn to have fellowship with Jesus. I don't want to do it through suffering. I don't want to understand the heart of God through suffering. There's this guy in El Salvador that... Uh, can't walk, his legs don't work and he has a friend that gets him up every morning picks him up, puts him over his shoulder and carries him to the intersection that happens to be right by where the church building is and he stays there with him His friend stays. sometimes he goes to work other times he stays there with him and when the light turns red he picks him up and he walks out in front of all the cars and stands there until someone decides to roll down the window and give him some money he was there two years ago, he was there last year, he was there this year. And his friend, he, wears a, he even wears one of those back braces, because he's got to pick them up and carry them around all the time. And that's what his friend does for him every day, to help him to be able to live. And I, I watch him when we're sitting at the stoplight, when we're leaving the church building there. And I'm just completely humbled and embarrassed. Because I'm so glad that that's not me. I don't know that I could do that. When we have the medical brigade there in the church, he picks up his friend, puts him over his shoulder, and he brings him in. I mean, he came walking in, and it's not a little dude, but he brings him in so he can see the doctor, because we can give him free medical care. And he came in, and he, and he, and he, set, him, he set his friend down, and the doctors were attending to his friend, the guy that can't walk, and I was just watching this guy, and I was just, I was so overwhelmed. I was in tears the whole brigade on Saturday. So many things happened. It was crazy. But I went, I just had to run, like, what, what can I do? I got him a bottle of water, and I took it to the friend. And he was so grateful, like, oh, thank you. Who knows when the last time he'd had a bottle of water was, you know, because he's he is working this is what he does: is he picks up his friend who can't walk, and they beg for money. See, the stress for me is when I can't figure out with the worship team who's going to be there on Sunday, and wait, who's playing drums, and, and wait, how are we doing this? Does the computer work? And is everything going on? And what's happening with our church? And you know, don't let your American mindset distract you from the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's tragedy that's going on in our country. There is tragedy that's going on in our world. And it has been happening since the beginning of mankind. And the answer to all of that tragedy and the answer to all of that pain is Jesus. And it's him giving himself up for us, dying on the cross. So then we get to this, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Now, he wasn't saying this, that, there were situa- that every situation was perfect. In the midst of tragedy, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Now this is the same man that would go into a town and start talking about Jesus, and they would beat him up. They would stone him and leave him for dead. Or they would pick him up, and they would throw him in prison. Same man who was beheaded because he believed in Jesus. But he says that God... With Jesus, will graciously give us all things. Your perspective has got to change. This is why we're doing this Stay Woke series. We're trying to go deeper and help you realize this isn't just about hoping you have a good holiday. This is about wake up, people. Come on, Turning Point. Don't get so deadened and numbed out by our materialistic, capitalistic worldview that we don't see the pain of people's hearts and do everything we can to help them. If God is for us, who can be against us? So Martin Luther, one of the things that he talked about was, or one of the things that bothered him was how the church at the time had really uh, become really like a business, right? You want to get forgiveness? Sure. Here's our price list. And if you did this kind of sin, then pay this much money. If you did this kind of sin, then you pay this much money. And then there were other things that the church had, I mean, that you had to do to be able to be right with God. Because it was, it all came down to just, um, it all came down to greed and evil, and depravity, right? That had entered into the thinking of the leadership of the church. So that people now, if they wanted to be right with God, if they wanted to be justified, if they wanted to have salvation, they had to do a certain amount of things. They had to to do do this, say this, believe this, recant this, pay this, and then you will be saved. Martin Luther was like, no, no. That, that is not what it's about. As he started to read uh, the scriptures and he started to get into it, he was like, But that's not what the Bible says. That's absolutely not what the Bible says, right? So now, let's throw this thing away. Crazy. Okay. So, sorry, you just got to go through these five things. We're going to talk about all these, blah, 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 blah. But tonight, we're going to talk about this one. Sola fide, by faith alone. Okay, so now, here's one of the things that Martin Luther read that really moved him in this moment was Romans 3, verse 28. He said, for we maintain that a person, this is Paul speaking, by the way. We maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And so now, because he's, he's trying to help a lot of the Jews in this moment, Paul is, right? He's trying to speak to these Jews who believe, like, we got to follow the law. We've been following the law for thousands of years, and you got to get circumcised at this point, and you got to come to this festival, and you got to do this. And if you do all those things properly and perfectly, then you'll be right with God. If you wash your hands before you eat, remember the guys that were talking to Jesus about that? Why don't you wash your hands before you eat? Why do you, why do, you do this? Why do you, you have to do these things perfectly. If you do this perfectly, then you can be right with God. But Jesus tried to change all of that. So Martin Luther's starting to see this. He's reading this in Romans, and he's going, no, no, no. It's faith apart from the works of the law. It's what you believe in Jesus that actually saves you. This faith that God gives you, he allows you to grow in this moment. God grants you repentance, and he gives you the faith, and you understand by hearing the word of God, you get more and more faith, and it changes you. And all of a sudden, like, this is how you get justified. This is how you get saved. Okay, so now, why is this important? If you're 15 years old, if you're one of my high school teens and you're in here listening to this, or you're 18 years old and you're in college and you're listening to this, I'm going to talk about some Bible stuff, okay? Are you guys ready? Because you need to understand Bible stuff, and you can totally do this, so don't check out on me if you're 15, or if you're 18, or if you're 21, or if you're 45. Don't check out on me here, okay? Because now, why do we need to know this? Why is this important? Why are we going back and looking at what Martin Luther said and this Sola thing, and that's a language I don't even understand, and wait, what's the right way to pronounce it? I don't know, but... We get to this thing. Why is this a big deal? Because people will start to have disagreements about this and arguments about this. And I want you to understand where stuff comes from. Like right now in our country, if you don't understand the history of the slave trade and then the history of the Civil War and then the history of the Civil Rights Movement in the 60s, then everything that is going on right now with all of our racial tension and everything, you're going to go, What's? The, I don't understand what the big deal is. You have to understand where, where things come, come from and where it started before you can understand how you're going to feel about it now. And those of you that are just starting in your faith, I want you to understand this stuff. And I want you to try to get it, and I'm going to try to explain it in a way, hopefully, that will make some sense to you. But you need to understand why is this religious-sounding term of faith alone, why is this important? And this verse, we're justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Do I even understand that word, justified? Justified means, uh, I heard someone explain it once, like, just as if I'd never sinned. So when you're justified, it's like everything is forgiven. You have this forgiveness in that moment, okay? So you are justified, you are forgiven. Given not by you becoming perfect. And this is something that happens with kids who grow up in our church a lot. Is that kids who grow up in our church a lot, and it's a strange thing because you grow up in your church and you're you're going to Kids Kingdom all the time and you're going to Kids Point and you're learning the songs and you learn the thing and your parents say you have to obey because that's the only thing that the Bible tells you. Children obey your parents and the Lord, honor your father and mother. If you don't, you're going to get a spanking because then in the Bible and then there's just spankings and we get pow pow and then we have the spoon, or we go oh blah, blah. and so and so you're you're growing up and you're and you're understanding I have to do good and if I do good um, then my parents love me and if I do bad then. My my parents get upset, and they give me a spanking, and then I have to say I'm sorry, and then we hug, and it's all good. And so you go through this process. Do you understand? Are you following me with this? Now, imagine that you're seven, eight years old, and you're dealing with all this since the time that you, were, or that you can remember, and you're coming up with this, and so what do you learn as you're going through there? I have to do what is right. I have to follow the Bible, and I have to do what is right. But then you get into like sixth grade, seventh grade, and you start to think, now wait, what if I don't want to do what is right? And you start pushing back against your parents. I'm not sure that I want to do what is right. And you can't spank me anymore. And who are you to tell me what to do? Give me my phone. And then you're, all, and then it's all mad about that. And then we're doing that, right? But it's hard because as, as disciple, as Christian parents, we try to tell our kids, you have to do the right thing and you have to obey. But then the truth of the scriptures is you cannot obey enough to gain your forgiveness. You cannot obey enough for God to love you. God loves you no matter how much you obey. God loves you so much that he said, Jesus, before you decided to obey... And it's so hard when you're a teenager to flip that, to understand, okay, wait, it's not about me being perfect anymore. Because a lot of times our teens will study the Bible and they think, okay, I have to repent and I got to, I, and they'll say, I, I'm not sure I want to get baptized because I don't know if I can be a disciple, quote, quote, be a disciple. And that means do everything perfectly. What a horrible weight to live under. I'm always trying to tell them, you don't have to be perfect. Please stop thinking that. It's not about you being perfect. It's about you realizing how imperfect you are. And it's about you realizing, God, I cannot believe I've done this to you. Thank you for deciding to save me. Our teens sometimes think that baptism is the point. That this is the goal. And they want their baptism party. I want to go to my party and have people say nice things about me. I mean it's like a bar mitzvah or a quinceanera or something like that. Like we get I get my I want my baptism party. I'm gonna study the Bible so I can get my baptism party and I'm always like it's not about that. And then some of you well-meaning disciples, you come in there to their baptism party and you say, You're so awesome because you're 13, and I never would have done that when I was your age, and you're so you're so amazing. And they start to get that in their head. Oh, I've done something good. I have accomplished something by being a good little boy, and now I get my baptism party, and now I get to go to heaven. You're not helping when you tell teenagers that. If a teenager comes to faith and they decide that they want to follow Jesus, you need to be in there going, amen, I am, this is awesome. Welcome to the party. We got to go save the world. I need you on my side. Get in here. How can I help you? Because there is a world out there that needs to be saved. Okay, yes, maybe you're having a different high school experience than I had, but please don't tell a teenager, it was so much harder for you know for you than it was for me. I didn't have to deal with anything that you had to deal with. What, are you trying to give them a complex? Are you trying to convince them that they are unique or special? No, they're not. Guess what? You had sin that you were tempted to do just like they have sin that they're tempted to do. The circumstances are different in 2017 than they were when I was in high school, but they were different when I was in high school in 1987 than they were in 1957 when my parents were in high school. Different circumstances, same sin, same Jesus, same God, the same need for us to turn to him for forgiveness. So for the love of our teen ministry, don't say that stuff at their baptisms anymore. Don't tell them that you're proud of them. You're such a good teen. You're so awesome. No, they're not. I mean it. They just realized how awesome Jesus is. And they need help. And every teen baptism, I look them in the eye before we go out to share. And I say, this is not your party. This is not about you. And everyone is going to go out there. They're going to say all these good things about you. You need to ignore them. Do not listen to them. (laughs) Teens, am I right? Nathan, didn't I do that to you? This is not your party. This is Jesus' party. You're just now joining the party. This party's been going on. You're just now smart enough to realize, I get into this party? Oh my gosh, this is awesome! Right? I get to walk into this party. This is great. And that's why they're coming in, because they're fired up to be in the party. But it's not because of something that they did, it's because of the love of God and the love of Jesus on the cross. So can you, that was, man, I did not mean to go there. Almost through the intro. I'm almost through it. Galatians chapter 2, Paul said this, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. If you could be so good and so perfect to gain your way into heaven, then there was no reason for Jesus to die on the cross for you. Righteousness cannot be gained through the law. It cannot be gained through law keeping. It cannot be gained through all the things that you do right. Your forgiveness, your salvation cannot be gained by how good of a Christian that you are and how many quiet times that you have. How many dates you take your wife out on? How many people you invite to church? That is not where your salvation comes from. So don't go thinking, "Hey, I share my faith with 40 people. I'm well, this is good. I'm a better Christian than other people." No, you're not. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and Jesus died on the cross because of the sins that you committed. How dare you start thinking that you're something special? Because you're not. You are special to God, and he loved you. He sent Jesus to die for you. That's why you're special. And when you realize that, that's when you go, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I get this. This is so awesome. Think about it this way. There's two ways of justification. There's the way of law-keeping, which requires your perfection— Or there's the way of faith that depends on Jesus' perfection. That's the one that we want, okay? Because you're not going to make it. You're not going to be perfect. You are not that good. You don't have that much self-control. You don't have that much intelligence. You don't have that much moral turptitude. Is that a word? Is turptitude a word? I just made it up. If it's not, I like it. There's a word that's close to it. If turptitude is not a word, there's a word that sounds similar to that one. I'm not sure which one it is. What is that word, Kevin? Is it turptitude? I want some moral turptitude. Come on. I'm going to have to look it up now later when I go home. I like it too, but I'm going to have to look it up because that's embarrassing when you say something that you don't know if it's actually real. I'm just trying to make stuff up. All right, so are you getting me? We're going back to this verse in Romans 3. A person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, this is a whole funny thing. John can tell you about it probably way more than I, but John, this is the verse where uh, Martin Luther, when he did his translation, he inserted the word alone, right? Yes. So when he translated the Bible, he inserted, uh, we maintain the person justified by faith alone, apart from the works of the law. And he argued that, like, this has got to be what Paul was saying, even though that word was not in the original Greek. He was still like, no, this has got to to be faith alone. So there's this whole thing. It's really fun if you want to do church history. Talk to John about that. But here's the thing. So we got Paul in this moment saying, you are justified by faith. You are not justified by works. Okay? Now, I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to go over to James. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now, both of those are in the Bible. (laughs) Romans 3, justified by faith, not by works. James, justified by works, not by faith alone. All right, now, Nathan, Akita, teenagers, college students, you need to get this. Because this is one of those moments where you're going to walk into a college class and somebody's going to go, the Bible is full of contradictions. Right here it says, faith not works. Right here it says, works not faith. See, the Bible is stupid. Let's go get high. Now I'm serious, that's the thought process. If I can find anything wrong with the Bible, that's going to justify whatever the heck I want to do in my life. No, but think, people. Come on, use your brain. If this is in the Bible, would God have allowed that to be in there if it is such an obvious contradiction? Maybe it's not an obvious contradiction. Maybe it actually works together. Maybe both of those things are true at the same time. Maybe you have to start to think about, well, who was Paul talking to? And then who was James talking to? And maybe these things can actually work together because we have to understand what it is when he says that you were justified by what you do and not by faith alone. See, there's this whole thing about when you really have a faith that is real, when you understand grace, that you are forgiven by God based on nothing that you did. It is a gift. Your salvation is a gift. When you get that, then you are all of a sudden going to start living your life like, This is awesome. I cannot believe that I get this because I don't deserve it. It's grace. I don't deserve it. You're going to start to live differently. And there's going to be things that happen in your life as a result of your faith. And if those things do not come out of your life, then what James is saying is, I think there's something wrong with your faith. I don't think you understand that you've been forgiven. I think you're still back there in the law side of things trying to earn God's love and forgiveness. If you are not overflowing with gratitude and love and giving your life to people, then you, you don't realize that you've been cleansed from your past sins. You think you haven't been cleansed yet because you haven't been good enough. And every time you mess up, Satan gets you in your ear and he says, see, you don't deserve your salvation. See, you're not good enough. See, God loves all these other people, but he doesn't love you. And that's what he whispers in your ear. But you have to hold on to the truth in what you read in the scriptures because what you read in the scriptures is the word of God. Amen. And that's what we hold on to. Now, here's what Martin Luther himself said in his introduction to the book of Romans. Faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. Okay? Your faith is this living, bold trust in God's grace that is going to enable you to, like, go, hey, I don't care what happens to me, I don't care what tragedies, goes on. tragedies go on, I'm going to hold on to Jesus. And then he goes on. Such confidence and knowledge of God's grace makes you happy, joyful, and bold in your relationship to God and all creatures. The Holy Spirit makes this happen through faith. Because of it, you freely, willingly, and joyfully do good to everyone, serve everyone, suffer all kinds of things, love and praise the God who has shown you such grace. Isn't that cool? If you have faith, you are going to willingly and joyfully do good to everyone and serve everyone. You're going to stop being mean to the people who work for you. You're going to stop lying about how much time you spent on your job and how much time you spent on Facebook. You're going to go, God, I want to be right. You're going to stop, like, taking your neighbor's parking spot. You're going to stop taking their clothes out of the laundromat because you're going to go, no, I want to do good to all people. You're going to start thinking, how can I help people? What can I do to connect with them? How can I live, like Brandon said, a less squanderous life so that I can be more generous to other people? Then he says this, thus it is just as impossible to separate faith and works as it is to separate heat and light from fire. Faith and works, they are together, they are combined. Your faith is what saves you and then that saving faith produces incredible things in you. Now humans, we mess it up and we get into churches and we go, all right, now if you're not doing this and this and this, you're not a good Christian and you may not be saved. And we put guilt on people. And it's so easy to do. Because movements, I mean, good grief when you study the movements of, of Christianity over the last 2,000 years. You see this incredible pendulum swing of people always trying to figure out how do I follow God and how do I be righteous. And they try to get really righteous, but then they get too legalistic. And people are like, wait, 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 it can't be that legalistic. It's got to be about faith. And then we go over here where everything is all love and everything is good and happy. You can just, As long as you believe in Jesus, do whatever you want, honey. You just go on. And then people are like, wait, that's not right because you say you believe in Jesus, but you're living this life that has nothing to do with Jesus. We need to be more righteous. No, we're going to put boundaries on it. We're going to say, no, it's going to be like this. We're going to have guidelines. And then we get all started over here. You can't do it. You're not a good Christian. Those people aren't Christians anymore. And then we go over here. We're like, no, come on. It's got to be about faith and love. And we go back and forth. Do you understand the tension? And see, no matter where we are on that scale right now, because in our, in our movement, in our church, we've been way over here on the legalistic side. We've swung back to sometimes with the too much grace side. And then we go back over here. We're trying to figure it out. And then we got these people saying, wait, the turning point is supposed to be like this. No, it's supposed to be like this. And then we're fighting within it. We're trying to figure stuff out because it's hard. Because this is a hard thing to figure out. This is what Martin Luther was standing up for 500 years ago. was like, guys, we've got to follow the Scriptures, not our own hearts in this. And we have to do that in this church. I think in Ephesians 2, you see this tension. It's not even a tension. It's a beautiful combination. It's not a contradiction. It's not a paradox. It's these two things working together, but you see it perfectly in Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And then the very next verse, he says this, but we are created for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were saved through faith and created to do good works. You cannot separate your faith and your works just like you cannot separate light and heat from fire. But there's got to be works that are coming out of your life. And if there are not, then that, that should be a red flag to you. Like, you know what? There is something off in my understanding of my, my position before God. Somewhere Satan has convinced me that I am not saved and I am not good enough. And I, I bought into the lie. I made an agreement with Satan and said, you know what? Yeah, you're probably right. God doesn't love me. I'm too bad. But that's not what the Bible says. It's not what the scriptures say. That's not why Jesus died on the cross. So what now? Decide if you believe this statement. God is for me. Write it down. God is for me. Do you believe it? You're probably on a sliding scale. It's not a yes or no. It's a, maybe it's a sometimes. Maybe it's a no. For some of you, it is an absolute, yeah, I get it. But no matter where you are, no matter how you feel about that, you need to be honest about your answer to that question. Do I believe that God is for me? And if you don't, then that's what I want you to talk about. I want you to go to your groups tonight and say that. I'm not sure that I believe that God is for me, and here's why. Because I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And I don't think that God can forgive those things. Many of us believe that God will forgive other people, but he won't forgive us. But that's not what the Bible says. So do I believe that God is for me? And then, if God is for you, then what does your faith inspire you to do tonight? What does your faith in this incredible, powerful, awesome God inspire you to do in this world that is beset by murder and strife and evil and greed and depravity and tragedy? What does your faith inspire you to do? To walk out those doors and go do. What is your faith in the salvation that you have? Demand of you tonight when you go home. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to reach out to? What changes do you need to make? What programs do you need to get rid of on your phone? What apps do you need to delete? What TV shows do you need to stop watching? Like these things come from your faith. Not from you trying to win God's approval. It comes from you. Jesus died on the cross for me. God, I just, thank you. What does your faith inspire you to do tonight? And tell somebody about it. So here we stand. We can do no other. This is going to be us. As we go into the rest of this year, hopefully, many of the women I know are doing the Simply Holy, the 70 days to the end of the year. Husbands, if your wives are doing that and you are not, man, you're missing an opportunity to lead your wife and love your wife and inspire her. Don't get so prideful that you think, oh, I don't need to do that. Yes, you do. All of us need to go, how can I be more like Jesus by the end of the year? Let's do that. Let's figure out, what if we came into January 1st, just like this is the most committed and joyful and sacrificial and believing in the grace of God that our church has ever been. What if it was January 1st, 2018? That's what we could say. Would that not be awesome? It's faith alone. Amen. Let's go to our groups.